0: Well, if you have opened up your bulletin and had your outline, seen your outline, you'll see that today we are talking about the never-ending quest for it. So if you want to take that out and follow along, I don't have fill-ins for you today, but a lot of questions that we're going to be talking about and asking. Two weeks ago, I, I shared a stat when I said that of the recorded parables that Jesus spoke, the 38 recorded parables, 16 of them We're dealing specifically with money and with finances. And so today I thought it would be a good idea if we looked at one of those to start off our time, um, just to kind of see how and what Jesus was teaching and sharing. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke chapter 12. And in Luke chapter 12, we see a very interesting story. And there's an interesting occurrence that happens As far as I've been able to tell, this is the only man in all the Bible who has the dubious distinction in, in actually all of history of having been called a fool by Jesus. This is a story of having been called a fool by Jesus, the only man. I'm just glad that this guy was not me, right? But perhaps I've been doing some of the same things, and in succession... I would be called a fool as well. But it's interesting to note that um, it may be surprising. It, It wasn't because he was an immoral man. Or it wasn't because he was a violent man. Or it wasn't because he was an evil man. He was called a fool because he was a man whose values and morals were turned upside down. He was on this search or this quest for it and the it was not god himself the it was his own riches the it was how he dealt with his finances the foolish nature that jesus brings up showed that he didn't handle money the way that he should have handled money and that he thought of himself first and he missed the freedom of being a generous person and so luke chapter 12 i'm going to jump in in verse 13 Says this, someone in the crowd said to him, who is Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide, which by the way, whenever you're telling Jesus something, <laughs> watch out what happens after that, right? Be careful of telling Jesus. But here he is, he steps up, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions." See, Jesus knew the man's heart. Jesus knew what he was getting after. And so when he ask Jesus a question, Jesus looks beyond that question. He says, what is he really getting after? And this is exactly what Jesus was getting after. He knew the man was after this. And so Jesus wanted to hone in on this. And then Jesus takes another step. He wants to teach him something. And so he told him a parable, it says in verse 16. He said, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. God now if we read that last verse that's really what Jesus was getting after he's he's not harping on the man that that was rich he was just harping on him because he wasn't generous with the things that are of God or of the things that last in earth the things that are temporal go like that to be rich in those and not worry about what would be to come Jesus is saying that makes you a fool Because I look at our lives and I say, God wants us to be generous people. God wants us to be loving people. God wants us to be giving people. God wants us to be joyful people who have fun living and giving in life. He wants us to live by different rules in this life that are not controlling or not preoccupied with some sort of a monetary gain. In fact, let me show you how um, this is kind of played out of what happens when you are controlled. There's a story of uh, hunters in the jungles who tried to capture monkeys. And as they tried to capture monkeys, they couldn't. Monkeys were quick. Monkeys were, would scat away whenever they would come close. They couldn't do it. But there was one way that they found worked virtually every time with capturing monkeys. And in fact, this week I went online, I went on YouTube, and I saw a display of how they would do this. What hunters would do is they would have some sort of a container or in the video it was actually a mountainside that they dug a hole into, a hole that they would put then objects into and so it could be some objects like this which is a coin or a couple of coins in here. And they would tether this object up to a tree but they would pull a rope that would kind of make it rattle like this which would draw the monkey to it because they're curious. And the monkey would come up to the jar, and he would look inside the jar, and he would see the items in there, and he would take his little monkey hand, and he would stick it down into the jar. Now, my hand actually doesn't fit in here, which is a good thing, because I'm not from monkeys, right? Neither are you. Okay. But he would stick the hand down into the jar, and he would grab a hold of the object that was in the jar. But as he was grab a hold of it and make a fist like this, he could not pull his fist back out he would hold on to the object in his fist and he would try and pull try and pull try and pull and all the monkey would have to do is what let go what's in the jar and they could be freed but even in the video that i just watched the monkey holds on and holds on and holds on and does not compute that if i let go of this i could be free and someone came up captured the monkey and uh and they were caught And I think about that kind of a story of how many of us do the same sort of a thing where we grab onto something and we don't let go. And the thing that we're grabbing onto then grabs onto us and we become captured. We become captivated by the things that are not of God but of the world. And we try and grab onto those kinds of things. Sometimes we need to just let go. And when we don't let go, we become trapped and we become captured. It's a little bit like the paradoxes that we think of in certain situations. Naturally, I, when, when, if ever you've been in a predicament where maybe you felt like as though you were drowning and someone is coming up to save you, They will often say that you're just supposed to relax, but our natural instinct is to fight and is to scrawl and is to try and grab onto the person. And and many times people can pull someone else down underneath who are trying to save them when we do that. But what we need to do is just relax even when we feel like fighting. When you get a cramp in your leg, sometimes you feel like you want to walk it off and try and get it right, but they say just relax, lay down, relax the leg so that the cramp can go away. The next time you're showering and using a bar of soap, you're lathering up, try squeezing that bar of soap and try holding onto it tight, tight, tight. If you hold onto it too, too tight, what's going to happen? It's going to fly away, won't it? What happens when we hold on to things too tight? The harder we hold on to them, the more painful or difficult they can be. And those things that we hold on and try and hold on to tight can actually end up hurting us. This happens in the psychological level Uh, world that we may come into as well maybe you haven't let go of relationship with your parents maybe it may be a part of your family history maybe it may be facing a difficult truth in your history that you need to come to terms with maybe there's some childhood wounds that you have in your life or some perceptions about your childhood that kind of keep us bound up and bonded uh, to those kinds of things if we don't let them go We have to make that difficult choice to let things go and to forgive and to forgive others because when we don't, then we end up binding ourselves up. In fact, think about this the next time that you're struggling with something and you're not willing to forgive someone, that you're probably laying in your bed, turning over and over again, thinking curses towards them, and they are sleeping in La La Land, right? They don't care. They've gotten over or they have not really dealt with it probably. But when we don't forgive and we don't forgive others and we don't forgive ourselves even, we kind of bind ourselves into a prison that locks us in and locks us down. Same thing can be done with money. That when we grab onto it and hold onto it too tight, that money becomes what controls us and we're owned by our money and our possessions instead of being generous towards God and being generous towards others Way too many of us pay way too much attention to what the culture says, how we should react and how we should treat and how we should respond to finances and money. I remember going through this with uh, my wife and I. Before we were married... Um, just a couple of months before we were able to purchase a home, and we went out looking for homes uh, that we were going to live in after we got married we fu- we figured okay, you know what here 's what the realtor says and here 's what the bank says we 're pre approved for and that 's what we should really be in and We went out to those different homes and we looked and we looked, but when you look at some of those, what happened? your eyes naturally kind of look at but you know what a few thousand more, and we could live there right and then you look at those some homes you 're kind of now looking what. Well, but you know what? If we worked a little harder, we could work. We could live there. And pretty soon we, we buy homes that we don't own, but what? Own? They end up owning us, don't they? That's what happens. And when you, when you start comparing yourself to others, when you start looking at the things of the world and the culture and how they work, then we become like the monkey where we've grabbed onto something and we can't let go. In fact, let me show you a couple of videos that have come out, um, a couple of commercials from the Ad Council, um, showing how many times we get ourselves into issues or problems. And maybe you'll recognize yourself or some other people who are doing these kind of things. Take a look. Oh! Checking your fantasy league? Nah, just my four hundred one k statement. Hmm, nice. Where'd you find the money for that? I just been saving a little every month. <laughs> I can't seem to save anything. Well, what about all this? What about the money you're spending? <laughs> what money? It's gone before I can get my hands on it. I got a pizza for a Todd. Hey, can somebody spot me? When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. It's 547. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. So good to see you here, guys. So, what's up? Oh, We finally bought a place. Holy cow. You seriously have enough saved to do that? We've been putting a little aside each month. Jeez, by the end of the month, we have nothing left to save. Yeah, I have no idea where it goes. Well, you're Mm -hmm. spending a lot on... Is it good? Oh, God. Oh, how is my account overdrawn? When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at FeedThePig.org. Feed the pig. A campaign to say your piggy bank save. We need to begin to save and save and not just spend it upon ourselves. You know, isn't that what Jesus was getting after? He was said here in Luke chapter twelve, verse fifteen. We already read the verse. Let me read it again. Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his what of his. Sessions, the things we own, the things we do, the life experiences that money buys for us. And so let me ask you a couple questions. Now time I'm going to dialogue a little bit with you today, things that you can answer now or later on, but they're on your outline and they're in the box. Am I a person or a monkey who longs for just a little bit more? Second. What's the one thing I need to let go of? Am I a monkey who's holding on to something? A little bit more, desiring a little bit more. Maybe it's not altering my life right now, but it may soon. And what do I need to let go of that's making me do just that? You know, there's a story in Scripture that I think many of us are familiar with that kind of displays that monkey syndrome it's uh, over in Mark chapter 10. It'll be up on the screen or if you want to go there in your Bibles or it's on the outline. But I said you're probably familiar with it because if you were here for our Not A Fan series, we talked about this person over and over and over again, but you can kind of see him in a different light here today. It's the rich young man out of Mark chapter ten seventeen. Where it says, Jesus was setting out on a journey, and the man ran up to him, knelt it before him, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I won't go through all the things that we already talked about in the Not a Fan series, but basically Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud on your father and your mother. And the man said to Jesus, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will then have treasure in heaven. And then you may come follow me. And what does the man do? Dishearted by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Possessions. He was holding on to it. He couldn't let go. And I know it sounds counterproductive. I know it sounds counterculture. But for us to be blessed in life, for us to uh, to to uh, to live the life that life offers for us, the only way we can really do that is to be those kind of people who give and are not controlled. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that everything that's been given to us is God's anyway. And he gives it to us, but he doesn't expect us to hoard it. He doesn't expect us to hold on to it. He expects us to be able to use it to live a life that would be blessing to us, but also to others. And that's a part of it. If you don't have a place where you are giving, then God is, God's plan for you is not working. God wants some area where you are giving back to something. And scripturally, it talks about giving back to the Lord and seeing his work continue on. That's a part of the illustration that I want to get across, the story. In fact, there is another illustration have had and talked about because obviously God wants first place in our lives and when we don't give that to him it shows up in every area of our lives in fact it shows up when we're little children probably the most because you know when you get kids or maybe two and three and four years of age they get into kind of the me me mine kind of syndrome right right I remember having um, uh, some popcorn that my wife had popped for our kids one day when they were coming home from school um, when they were little And um, she had set it out for them, kind of on the counter for them and part for my daughter and part for my son and kind of laying it out there. And I sat across from them and was talking with them, was conversing with them. And that popcorn was starting to look really good, right? It was starting to smell really good. And so I just kind of reached out and grabbed a a, a pop kernel and popped it into my mouth. And you should have seen the look that my daughter gave me, Hmm? hmm? Kind of noted that and... Thought, all right, let, let me try that again to see if that happens again. Tried it again, and all of a sudden, there kind of become a little bit of this mmm kind of thing going on, right? Kind of kind of like this, this was mine. It's not yours, mine. And I, and I got a little bit of an indignant look on my face like, didn't I just give you that popcorn? But think about this. Does that ever work for any kid? Do you ever give them something and then try and take it back? Doesn't work real well, does it? The funny thing was, we kind of bantered and we kind of joked back and forth a little bit after that, um, and and they had asked that I replace the popcorn that I had eaten from them, (laughs) and um, what what, what I had discovered, and I didn't think through this, but my wife had poured part of it on my daughter, part of it on my son's, there was a whole other half bag of popcorn that was in the bag that was not poured out for them. So I just walked over and I picked it up and I started eating, and all of a sudden it was like, Hey, can we have more of that, Dad? It's like, well, I already gave you yours. If you're going to hold on to that, you hold on to that, I'll hold on to mine, right? And it became this great little lesson to myself as well because how many times have I been like that? How many times have I kind of been holding on to something? God will give me something. And very naturally, I'll be like, well, this is mine. And yet it's so God's saying, well, no, I'm allowing you to eat it, but at no point is it yours. You can use it, you can eat but it's not yours and if I ask you to share it, share it and I saw myself so much in that illustration and I think most of us in here would say the same thing that we see ourselves in that as well that we can't give up the popcorn once we feel it's ours once it's been given to us we can't give up the finances we can't give up the money God, I need this you gave it to me and so I need to spend it on me but God's saying, wait, 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 Isn't that what I gave you? Isn't that mine in the first place? And so let me ask the question. It's down at the bottom of your page. Do I share my popcorn? And is it really my popcorn? There's probably the bigger question. Is it really mine? And the second question, do I have something in my life that has greater value than my relationship to God? See, that's where the rich young ruler came into his problems. When um, God saw, or Jesus saw, that he was in first place. He said, you've got to do some things. You've got to go give away some popcorn. You've got to go sell your possessions. You've, then you may come, because you're not going to have, I'm not going to have your heart if you come with all your possessions together. I think we see ourselves in there more than we care to. And actually, there's a scripture verse, if you want to flip over to the book of Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, it'll be up here on the screen, though. This is a very challenging verse. This is a verse that really hits us maybe where we're at by what we do. Because in this verse, Malachi chapter 3, starts by verse 8 and 9, where God says, You know what, Israelites, you've robbed me. You've taken what is mine And the people say, wait, 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 how would we do that? How have we taken what's yours? And God says, in your tithes and your offerings. Look at verse 10. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. He's saying, bring it to my house. Bring this uh, to the storehouse. Now, in the Old Testament, the sanctuary was called the storehouse. Specifically, the treasury in the sanctuary was called the storehouse. And the tenth refers to kind of the crops or the food that the Lord had blessed them with. And so the principle there was, bring the first tenth to me. I have blessed you with this. You bring that into my house so that it may be dispersed. It may be a blessing to other people. In fact, if you look at this in Scripture, I believe this is the only place in all the Bible where God actually invites us to challenge him on something. He's asking us to put him to the test. Go ahead, do it. He's saying, I I dare you to see how much I'll take care of you. I dare you to say, take me seriously on this. You know that saying many years ago was, go ahead, make my day. It's like God saying, go ahead, make my eternity. Find out. Find out if I'll be faithful in all this. I challenge you to do this. He's saying, you'll be amazed at how well I can take care of you. God promises if we do our part in giving, he will do his part in providing and protecting. Now, that is not just in money. Okay, let's just not go there and think that it's an even exchange. It never is with God. God blesses in way more ways, but he also blesses in different ways. I've been with people who um, really at the end of the month have, do not have any more money and cannot afford their rent anymore, who, you know what, a landlord may decide, I'll allow you to stay an extra month, I'll allow you to, to, to um, be able to pay or maybe even half the rent that you have or, or rent free for a while. God can move that on people's hearts. I've been with people when um, uh, food or groceries, they've called me up and said, wow, did you send this from the church? I'll say, no, I, we didn't send it from the church. But they, they will say, we had no more food in our, in our uh, kitchen. And someone just showed up on our front doorstep with food to bless our family with. I, I mean, we have not been in that situation ourselves. But I know when we had children, uh, I was so f- blessed that people would sometimes just come to our house and give us food. Because I don't cook. I cook cereal and I cook toast. That's about all I do. And so to have that kind of food at our house was a blessing as well. People will often step in and God can move people's hearts and needs that we may have that goes beyond just the finances. Tony Campolo tells an interesting story. He's a professor at Eastern Baptist Theological Seminary on the East Coast. He's also been a pastor of some churches and he and his wife, um, at one point in, the, in their life, made a covenant that they wanted to give and give more to the Lord. And they were driving kind of an old, run-down, beat-up car, but they made a commitment to one another. They said, let's continue to give what we would be paying for a new car. Let's continue to give it to the Lord as long as he allows us to drive this car and, and to get by driving this car. And so they made that commitment. So they continued to give, month after month after month. And finally, one month, uh, one evening, uh, Tony Campolo shares a story that he was driving into a deacon's meeting. He drives into the church parking lot, and as he does, two of his tires go flat. So he leaves his car outside the deacon's meeting. He's thinking in his mind, yes, Finally, the car doesn't work anymore. I can call my wife and say, the Lord has released us from that. We're able to buy a new car. Let's do it. Or to buy a used car, we're ready to do that. And he's feeling good about this. He goes inside the deacon's meeting. They have their meeting. They have their time of prayer. They have their business that they have to take care of. He walks back out to his car, and he sees four brand-new tires on his car. What had become to know was that some church members had driven by, saw that it was the pastor's car, and decided to put the new tires on the car for Tony and his wife. He didn't know if that was a blessing or a curse. (laughs) But God works in those ways. God works in mysterious ways at times that we can't tell how he's working, but he just does. And when we are faithful... Not faithful to be blessed, but just faithful because God tells us to be faithful, then God shows up and God shows himself. You know the saying, you've heard it before, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. And so on the back part of your outline, I wrote some more questions. Reflecting upon this verse that is right above, Malachi 3.10, it says, Do I believe the above verse that is Malachi 3.10? And I know we're here in church, so we'd all say, well, yeah, of course I believe it. So I wrote the question, really? Yeah, I believe it. Okay, really believe it? One more time, just for good measure? Really? Then, here's the hard part, would your actions say that you believe it? You know, if you give on a regular basis here at First Baptist, by the end of the month, you'll have a giving statement that will come out. I hope it's a time that you can look at that and say wow have I been generous with what I have or have I just kind of thrown God little bits here and there let me ask the next question am I on the never ending quest for it and actually what is my it and will it really satisfy look the point of us giving is that God wants first place in our lives. That's really the point. We talked about this a few weeks ago. He owns it all. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your finances. He wants first place. And he just knows that the biggest competition for first place is your finances and is your money and the allure of what you can become or what you can do with it or how self-sustaining you can be. And when we become so self-sustaining, then we just kind of slough God off and say, God, I don't need you anymore. Now, we need the necessity of of money. We, we, We need that. It's not about needing money, but it's actually the love of money. And you can see that in the next verse out of 1 Timothy. In fact, would you read that verse with me? You can read it up on the screen. It's probably easiest to read up there. Read it with me. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith And pierce themselves with many pangs. Look at the first part of that again. For the love of money. It's not even the money that's the problem. It's the what? It's the? Bingo. It's the love of the money that becomes a root. And those roots, you can't see those roots, but those roots begin to produce fruits. And the fruit that's coming up is a result of the root that's gone down. What's our attitude? What's our view towards money? Money, items, possessions, things take us on this never-ending quest for it. But that it doesn't last. Today, look yourself in the mirror and say, what is the it I'm looking for? I did that this last week, and I look back at my life, and I had a few different it's in life. When I was in the first grade, that it was a new huffy bicycle. You know you which one it was? The banana seat that had kind of the shiny little banana seat thing on that had those little tassels coming off the ends, right? Had a little horn on it, honk, 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 type of thing. My dad did some old videos of us, um, took pictures and put them on DVDs now, and we can go back and we can find. I ran out on my birthday and I jumped up on that bike and I was so thrilled to have that bike. A few years later though, that it was no longer it for me. It didn't last. When I got into eighth grade, you know what the it was in eighth grade? The it was white Sperry topsiders. That was the it. You remember those, don't you, huh? Many people had the brown ones. I wanted the white ones. Got them for my birthday when I was in the eighth grade. I was strutting the holes in my junior high. Yes, I was. Looking good in my white Sperry topsiders however after a while that it didn't last and when i got into high school there was a different it and in high school it was more sports and i wanted to play sports and be good at sports and so it was being the quarterback on the football team it was being the point guard on the ba- on the basketball team it was being the leadoff hitter on the baseball team and when i was able to do some of those things it felt good for a while but that it and it didn't last When I got into college, it was the opportunity that I had now I could earn some money and and pay for a car, and so I got a new car. It was a Toyota pickup, yellow. My wife called it the banana. It was great at the beginning, but after a while, that it didn't last. And it wasn't until I went on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic that you all actually sent me on when I was in college. And I went out to the Dominican Republic, which is on the same island as Haiti. I went and saw people who had virtually nothing. And I sat outside, the, some of you heard me tell the story. I sat outside the city walls and I looked up at the Blue Mountains there in Santiago in a little ghetto that I was spending time in. A house that was so, so small, but the people were so generous with what they had. And I said, God, if this is what you want me to do with the rest of my life, okay, then I'll do it. If the it at the end of life is honoring you and glorifying you, then I will do it. If that's what you want me to do, if you want me to go into ministry, that's what I'll do. It wasn't until that place that I was able to surrender that. And it's a reminder, though, that I have to surrender that every day. But there's no greater joy than saying, God, at the end, the it needs to be you. Because here's here's the guarantee I will give you right now. I don't know what your never-ending quest for it is or what you are chasing. But if it's anything that ends when you die, it's not going to satisfy you when you are alive. At least not for long. Let me say that one more time. If your it is anything that ends when you die, it will not satisfy you for long when you are living. You will continue to chase and chase, whether that be uh, in, uh, the ideal education, maybe it's the best job you can find with the six figures, maybe it's a house, maybe it's a car, maybe it's your ideal of a relationship or, or a marriage or a perfect family or whatever that is. Over time, we kind, of be, we kind of get corroded by the things that culture suggests are the it. And the culture says, me, my, mine culture says, get, get, get. The anecdote to that is to give, give, give. And when you give, give, things are just different. It's like you draw a line in the sand and you say, I refuse to be ruled by this materialism from my culture. You draw a line in the sand and you say, I'm going to fight back against the desire to simply have more and spend more, have more, spend more, have more and spend more. I'm going to draw a line in the sand and I'm going to resist the impulse to spend what I have just on myself. I'm going to draw a line in the sand and I'm going to say, I'm going to begin to think about others and think about God and think about how he wants me to manage my money. And when we do that, it changes you as a person it makes you more compassionate it makes you more humble it makes you have greater character and it causes you to reflect and respect God more in your life and first Baptist I just have to say as a whole you get this it's one of those values that we've learned for years and years and years And if you're new around here I hope you step in and I hope you get this as well that you're a very generous congregation and I hope that you can look yourself in the mirror and say I'm a part of that we, we felt that, our, our budget's done well this past year, we feel blessed that God has been doing some supernatural things around here, but it only starts, and it, it, it begins and continues with God's people saying, what I have is not really mine, even my vacation time, sure I'll go serve overseas, sure what I have and the gifts that God's blessed me, sure I'll give that to the Lord, sure I'll take my time and volunteer around here and serve, that's where it begins. And that just makes us different than the culture Because god lives inside of us And it makes us show different People see jesus in us And so let me just remind you this If today you're not a christian Then it begins with jesus That's That's the one who works inside of us. That's the one who makes you different. That's the one who changes your life. It begins with Jesus. If you are a Christian, let me remind you, it stays with only Jesus and nothing more. There's nothing else you can put into that place. Don't try and have Jesus and, but it's only Jesus. Stay focused on Jesus. He's the one who takes us through. He's the one who guides us. He's the one who makes us generous in life. You know, if Jesus was here today in person, um, he probably would have given just three little parables or three little stories today and then allowed those stories to sink in. Maybe at the end of them, he would have said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He says it often at the end of stories that he wants or things that he teaches. And then he'd probably just sit down. So let me just kind of end that same way today. I've shared some stories, but let me just kind of bring some questions out of those stories. Today, number one, could you be that rich young ruler whose entire life was wrapped up in riches and chasing it? If so, what are you going to do about that today? Number two, Could you be like any of our children who would say, whoa, wait, that popcorn's mine. And if so, what are you going to do about that today? Number three, could you be like the monkey who's holding on to something and holding it tight and you can't let go? If so, what are you going to do about that today? He who has ears to hear, let him hear.